Thank you for joining us today. You are moments away from a sermon presented by Thompson Presbyterian Church in Thompson, Georgia. We are an associate Reformed Presbyterian Church that seeks to glorify God, grow in Christ, and go in His Spirit. You can hear this sermon and many others this time every Sunday right here on WTHO 101.7 FM. You can also listen to sermons on our website, thompsonpresbyterian.org. Please come and join us and worship God with us in spirit and in truth. If you are unable to attend or not yet comfortable in joining us, please feel free to watch the service live on our Thompson Presbyterian Church YouTube channel every Sunday at 11 a.m. I thank you for being with us today. Now let us turn our attention to the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by looking at his holy scripture. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. All right, hearing no other announcements, uh, let us prepare to go before the Lord. Let's open in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a mighty fortress, that you, O Lord, are above all, beyond all, that your glory abounds. We speak of you, O Lord, in human terms, and none of those can explain who you truly are. Only by your word do we know you. Only through Christ do we know you. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come to gather as people, as those who are called by your name, that we may worship you and praise you. We ask, O Lord, that your spirit would be with us today, that you would anoint us in our singing and our reciting of the Apostles' Creed and the hearing of the sermon and all these things that we do, O Lord, so that you may be glorified, that your name would be praised. Guide us, O Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please remain standing. We are going to recite uh, the Apostles' Creed, and I know that um, most of you have it memorized, but for those that don't, hopefully you can see this. It's a little bit larger than um, the last, so hopefully it's a little bit better for you. Uh, and if not, there's always room up front that you can... You guys are fine, Romans. All right. They, they usually respond positively to that, but... So, brothers and sisters, now is the time to confess what it is that we believe. So, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So now let's turn in our Bibles as we continue. Yes, it seems like forever, right, that we've been studying Galatians. um, And we're going to continue our study of the fruit of the Spirit and this outflow of God's work in our life. 
as He provides for us His Spirit so that we may respond as if Christ were responding, not as we may desire to respond. And so what I'd like to do is, uh, by way of reminder, go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and we'll read to the end of the chapter, but I will focus on the fruit of the Spirit as mentioned in verse 22. So let's hear the Word of God this morning. Galatians 5, 16 through, 18, uh, 16 through 26, excuse me. The Word of the Lord says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your loving kindness. We thank You, O Lord, for Your Word. That You do not leave us a people to try and determine and figure out how to live a life on our own. But You give us all things necessary for living in this world. That we may glorify You in all things. We can see it plainly in Your Word. Help us today, O Lord, to hear your word, to understand your word. Anoint my lips that the words of Christ might be heard in every heart and every head today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, we're going to focus on the study of the fruit of the Spirit. And we can see that in 20, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, that all of those things, those wonderful words that describe what Christ and the Holy Spirit do in us, when I speak of the Holy Spirit and I speak of the Spirit of Christ, I am speaking of the same person. And notice how those are in contrast to everything we read in verse 19 through 21. All of those things which if we were to practice would keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God. But rather, because we are in God's kingdom, we are called by His name, we have the fruit of the Spirit, an ability to do the opposite, as laid out in verse 22. And what I want to do this morning is talk about that one word in there, which comes next. We've talked about um, we, the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about love, joy, peace, patience. You can go back and listen to those and be reminded of what we said of each one of those. But today we're on kindness. Kindness. Now, all of us, at the very 
hearing of this word would probably say, yep, got it, kindness. I know what I need to do. We're done. Let's go, preacher. I'm out of here. Let's go to lunch. Some of you are already thinking of lunch plans, right? No. We need to spend a little time here in this simple word, kindness. Here's why I believe this. The first thing I want you to see and understand is that the world has a different definition and a different view of kindness than we do in the church. The secular mind, those who are not Christians, have a completely different understanding of kindness. When we say kindness and they say kindness, we're not even on the same playing field. Let me explain. You can do your own search later and, and just Google kindness and look at some of the secular websites and see how they define it. Well, that's kind of what I did, and let me share with you what I found out. On the Psychology Today website, there's an article by Karen Hall, and the article is all about kindness. Now, all of us agree that kindness is a quality, a characteristic of an individual. When we think of kindness, we think of God's kindness. We'll talk about it in a minute. But here, the Psychology Today article speaks of kindness from a personal perspective. It is a quality of an individual. And here's how you do it according to psychology today. Well, you begin being a kind individual by simply opening your eyes. You open your eyes to the things around you, they say. Karen Hall says, here's a definition for you of kindness. It is a willingness to full-heartedly celebrate someone else's success. All of us would listen to that and say that's probably a good definition of kindness, but then she goes on. She says it's about telling the truth in a gentle way when doing so is helpful to the other person. Again, putting the other person first. She then takes a turn and says, it also includes being kind to yourself. Which is not necessarily inherently wrong. But it also leads her to this conclusion. She says, perhaps kindness is a value that could add more satisfaction to and strengthen your relationship. What's the problem with these words? Well, this definition of kindness ends with me. It starts with someone else, but it ends up being about my relationship. I do kindness so that I may receive something. I am kind so that maybe someone is kind to me. You notice the title of the sermon, Pay It Forward. Remember the movie that came out? You do something kind to someone else so that it will come back to you. Kind of like karma. Or you hope that your kindness leads to other people being more kind. And if all of us just opened our eyes and were more kind, then the world would just be a kinder place. That's the secular view of kindness. And it all ends up with me. Now, on another more academic website, the Institutes and Character website on this word kindness, they define kindness as being nice to others. Again, much like the first article. It's being generous with others, giving your time, money, and talent to support those who are in need. And again, as Christians, we would look at this and probably not raise an eyebrow. But there are three traits it ends with in this article that are altruistic personalities 
of kindness. In other words, genuine kindness according to them. Empathy, moral reasoning, and social responsibility. Now, which one of those three raises your eyebrow? Moral reasoning should raise your eyebrow. What is the foundation for this moral reasoning? How do you just, are you just born with moral reasoning? You're born with the ability to be kind? The Christian would say, no, you're actually born the opposite. You're born a sinner who doesn't know kindness. That's what Paul is saying here. The fruit of the Spirit. If kindness were natural to us, then it wouldn't be a fruit of the Spirit, right? It would be something that we produce on our own. That is not the case. Both of these assume that it starts with us. Both of these assume that there's some sort of foundational underpinning that you know what kindness means. And I can tell you right now, um, I sat in uh, brief, brief um, deployment briefings with uh, Marines and sailors where we talk about morality and ethics, and I can tell you, they don't get it. And you can't just leave it up to an individual to say what's right and what's wrong. This goes to this secular idea that we're all born with a, a neutral or some sort of understanding of right and wrong. Now, the Christian would say, yes, it's because you are created in the image of God, and you have that, as we have read in Romans, in your conscience. The secular world says, no, it's determined by each individual. It's relativistic. Each individual decides what is right and wrong, and then kindness is produced out of that. Well, what is the biblical view of kindness? That's what I want to look at this morning. Now, you're going to have to get ready. I've been gone for a while, and this, this sermon has been kind of ruminating, uh, and I went and I found every uh, mention of this word kindness in the Greek, and I had to pare it down because I know I don't have a whole lot of time here. So you can do two things. You can follow along with me on the screen, just read it, and be like, okay, I got it, but I don't think that's enough. You can turn in your Bible with me and find it and mark it, or you can write it down if I'm going too fast, and you can catch up on it later, okay? Any of those will work. You can't just sit there and, and stare at me, because you're not going to get it. We've got to do our homework, right? How do we know what God says about kindness? We know because we look at His Word, we study His Word, and we see what it says. Don't just take my word for it. So let me lead you in how we do that. We know then that, that kindness is given to us in Scripture. Psalm 145:17. The Lord is righteous in all His ways. I'm starting in the Old Testament. I'm starting back with this Hebrew word that mirrors this Greek word. The Greek word mirrors this Hebrew word. and They have the same idea here. They mean the same thing. And it says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So we see that one attribute of our, our Heavenly Father is that he is kind. How do we know that he is kind? Well, we know he is kind in his grace, in his mercy, in the stories that we read in which he provides and cares for in the covenant that he has established with his people, right? I promise you this. That's pretty kind. God owes us nothing, yet He makes us a promise, and He fulfills that promise. Whereas we continue to be rebellious, we continue to turn away. Israel turned away. It talks about His steadfast love. 
talks about His goodness, His loyalty. When we talk about kindness and, and this attribute of God, these are all the things we mean. The Hebrew mind would have understood this word to mean steadfast love. Not just somebody who's polite to you. right? We might think that kindness means that God is polite. No, it means that He has steadfast love. That what He promised, He's loyal to. That's kindness. That's how we see God being kind. And we know that for us, it is good. So we have to understand it in this covenant context. But the writer of Psalm 145 tells us plainly that God is kind in all His works. So it's very good for us to think of God as being kind. Kindness then flows from God. It flows out of His grace and His mercy and His love for us. And we understand this based off of who we are and what we actually deserve, don't we? We know that if we read in Genesis 3, the fall, what should have happened to mankind, we know that God continued to show kindness to us, to Israel, to His people. We also read about kindness of God, and this is probably hard for you to see. It's okay, you can look it up. It's Exodus 34, 6-9. We see God's love and kindness toward Israel. Let me read this for us. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Here we see the kindness, this, this steadfast love as it reads in this translation in verse 7 that God has toward Moses, even allowing Moses to see just a glimpse of his backside, right? And then pleading on behalf of Israel, who are a stiff-necked people, who have uh, bowed down to a golden calf, who have turned away from God, who have been disobedient and rebellious. Yet God continues to show them grace and mercy in His kindness, His steadfast love for them. We see it also in Hosea chapter 11, verse 4. I led them with cords of kindness, God says, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. You ever think about God's kindness in even addressing us? He owes us no word. Yet He continues to give us plenty to know and understand about Him and how He works that lead us to belief in Jesus Christ. He owes us nothing, yet out of His kindness, He steers us, directs us. He bends down to us and feeds us. So in a sense, we see God's kindness around Israel. We also see it in the New Testament, right? You can go to Romans chapter 11. Sorry, I don't know why I did that. Okay, Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, providing you 
continue, providing you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Here's a reminder of God's covenant for the New Testament believer, for you and I. Paul is writing and saying, listen, compare the kindness of God to the severity of God. What you deserved and what you actually received. And how awesome is that kindness? Providing you salvation. Otherwise, you would be cut off. I mean, think about that. You would be cut off from God. You would be in the same boat as where I, we started with this definition of kindness in the secular mind. Trying to figure it out yourself. Trying to understand how can I be kind? How can I die a good person? What kind of legacy could I leave? But no, we see that God's kindness given to Israel, giving, given to us, that is clearly visible in His Son, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4-7. through 7, Paul again speaks about this kindness. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How do we know that God is kind? We know because of the work of Jesus Christ. We know in His earthly ministry, right? Just think about it for a moment. In, in His earthly ministry, what did Christ do that was kind? Remember the time that He sat in John 4 with the woman at the well? It was unheard of that a man would speak to the woman. But he sits down and has a conversation with her. Yes, ultimately condemning her of her sin, but it starts with a kindness of Jesus sitting down and addressing this woman. Jesus and Lazarus. You remember the story of Jesus and Lazarus? And his sis, the Lazarus' sisters are like, if you were here, if only Lord, and this is in John 11, if only you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And what is Jesus' response? Jesus stands up and defends himself, right? No. What is Jesus' response? The shortest verse of all of the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus was weeping because Lazarus was dead. And they were grieving. That's kindness. And Jesus could have very well said, hey, listen, I got this. Don't worry. But he didn't. He wept with those who were grieving. Jesus ultimately shows us the kindness of God through His death on the cross for a sinful world, for a sinful people, for you and for me. How awesome is that? If you ever forget the definition of kindness, if you ever walk out of here and go, man, I, don't I wouldn't even listen to that guy. I don't remember what he said. I don't even care. But I do remember this. The kindness of God can be seen through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. If that's all you leave with today, I'd be a happy man. I've got more, but that should be our foundation. That God loves us unconditionally, and He sent His Son to die for us so that we may inherit eternal life. And then in Titus 3.4 we see this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, referencing Jesus Christ. Everybody in the New Testament understands that God's kindness is shown forth to us through Jesus Christ. 
If you're looking somewhere else for your definition of kindness, you're looking in the wrong place. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is the source of kindness. God is the true source, a true understanding of this word kindness. The world has their own conflated idea of what this word means, and it comes from a very low place. I mean, think of it this way. How can the creator of the world of all things not know the definition of kindness? But we think we do. We think we've got it figured out. And we, the creature, are going to tell the creator the definition. Brothers and sisters, we as Christians cannot do that. We must turn to the true definition of kindness. And it only comes from Jesus Christ our Lord, of course you can't read that. I can't even read that on the screen, but it's Romans 11, 17 through 24. I'm not going to read this. You can read this later, but let me just explain to you what this is. This is the, the imagery of the tree that we see often in Scripture. I know that Bridger preached on Psalm 1, I believe it was, the, the tree imagery, the tree by the river whose branches go in and the source being God fulfilling this tree and, and making it grow and nurturing it. And Elspeth and I had this discussion in Sunday school, the fruit of the Spirit, talking about a tree and what's produced out of a tree. And she gets it, so you guys better get it. What do you want a tree to do? Produce fruit or flowers or something. Produce something. And so Paul is saying, listen, here's this whole imagery again of an olive tree. And he says, as Gentiles, you've been engrafted into this tree. Now, that's really a foreign ideal for us, right? Not because it's an olive tree. Not because, but how do you put something on an organic entity? How do you take a tree and, and now I know you can do it from putting two trees together, and I know the Italians have figured out how to make these hybrid trees. That's not what I'm talking about. Paul is saying, literally, a branch is taken off of a tree and you are stuck on there. Only God can do that, okay? And when that happens, there needs to be some sort of producing of something. And if there's not a production of fruit, then guess what? You become a dead branch and you're taken off. And somebody who will produce or given the chance to produce is put on. That's what we see in the history of Israel. Israel was not producing. They were not faithful. And so God says, listen, I've always intended to have Gentiles and other ethnicities included. So guess what? Out of this tree come multiple engrafted ethnicities, nations of which we are a part of. And this, he says in verse 22 of Romans 11, note then the kindness and the severity of God. We've already talked about this, the severity toward those who have fallen, Again, those who are taken off the branch and thrown away, but God's kindness toward you because you've been engrafted. You've been put into this tree to produce fruit. The reason I want us to understand this, especially in context of Psalm 1 and what we've just learned as the definition of kindness that is coming from God, the source, is that we as Christians are expected to produce the fruit of kindness. We are expected to show kindness to others. Now, I think I've been here long enough that I'm comfortable in saying not all of us are kind. Not all of us are kind to one another. We're not kind to our spouses. We're not kind to each other, even on Sunday morning. Some of the things we say are rather harsh. 
The things at work, we say, are rather harsh. We're not kind. That's our natural self. Now, we want to be kind. And, and, and now that we have a good definition, we understand that Jesus is the source and the Holy Spirit's given to us and there's this, we are made a branch, a part of this tree in which there is a production of kindness, of fruit. We know that we can produce fruit. And so the expectation is that you will produce fruit. Paul doesn't simply say in Galatians 5.22 that these are the fruits of the Spirit and if you ever see them, then, then it's good, right? No, they're actually a mark to know, that lets you know that you're a Christian. If you have figured out how to be kind through the Holy Spirit, if you are producing this fruit, then guess what? More than likely, you're a Christian. That feels pretty good to hear, doesn't it? If you've ever somehow been kind knowing that you weren't kind, maybe you, maybe you messed it up. Maybe you said something unkind and then you turned around and said, oh, that wasn't kind. Guess what? You're probably a Christian. How do you know? Well, there's fruit being produced in you. And so if you've ever wrestled with that, then rest assured that the Holy Spirit indwells in you and gives you the ability to even know what kindness is. Not kindness because I'm looking for something, but kindness because that's what Jesus would do. That's who Jesus is. And so we understand that this is a quality of the Christian life. Proverbs eleven seventeen. One of the things that I'm going to do over the next few months is I'm going to try my hardest to do a daily devotion on Proverbs. And I'm going to do it in an audio version so that you can just simply listen to it. I'm going to keep it short. But every day you can listen to a proverb and I'm, I'm going to help you maybe see what it means or how to apply it. But here's one for you. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Very practical. But if we are kind, there will be benefits. In Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Again, what's the expectation of you? But to do justice and to love kindness. To love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In other words, to exhibit the Holy Spirit that lives within you. To be able to say, this is a fruit of the Spirit. This is not me. I'm not opening my eyes like I read in that article from Christianity Today. Or uh, uh, Psychology Today. Sorry, Christianity Today. I, I, I'm actually, there's a fruit produced in me called kindness that comes from the Holy Spirit. From the Spirit of Christ. And the source is None other than Christ Himself. But there's an expectation. Look at Colossians 3.12. Put on then, in other words, uh, practice to be something that maybe you're not. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. There it is again. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. All of these things. Now, we're just focusing on kindness. There's a whole list of you for you right here, right? So if you're, if you're one of those sitting there today and you're like, well, I got the kindness stuff. What else do I need to do? There's another, there's the rest of the list, okay? Just go to Colossians 3.12 and when you figure it out, let me know. You can stand up here and I'll sit down there. You won't. Because I haven't figured it out. Kindness. Let's just focus on being kind. But I also want you to study on your own. 2 Corinthians 6. I'm not going to read it. 
this idea of what our motivation is for being kind. It's not so that we are paid back for being kind. That's not what happens. What happens is we glorify God because God is the source of that kindness in us. And if we recognize that we are not the source, that God is the source, and kindness is produced in us, then the only logical conclusion is God receives the glory. Plain and simple. Not you. As a matter of fact, if somebody gives you a compliment and says, man, that was a kind deed, praise God. Praise God, because without Him, I wouldn't even be able to show kindness. And even in our showing of kindness, there is imperfection. It's riddled with sin. And that 2 Corinthians 6 passage gives this whole list of things that Paul is trying to do to be faithful. And he says in verse 7, by truthful speech and the power of God. Sorry, let me go back to 6. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. He even after he says kindness, he attributes it directly to the Holy Spirit, giving Paul the ability to be a minister in the Corinthian church. Mark 10, 42 through 45 is another one. I'm almost done. Kindness is then a quality that brings honor and glory to God because it is His work. And Mark even says that in this chapter, uh, in this chapter 10, verse 42 to 45. And Jesus called them to Him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever, who, who's the you? The disciples. A disciple of Christ, a Christian, you and I. In verse 43, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the Christian definition of kindness starts with being a servant. It starts with saying, I'm doing this not so that I get something back but so that God is glorified, and because He has saved me, I now belong to Him. I am a servant of King Jesus. Do you ever walk around and think about that? Boy, today I'm going to be a servant of King Jesus. I dare say many of us don't eat our Fruit Loops in the morning and think these things. Maybe your pastor's the only one, but I challenge you to do that. How will I show kindness today? Lord, help me show kindness. Pray that the Holy Spirit give you the ability to show kindness on a daily basis. Now here's what I want us to do. What do we do with this biblical definition quickly? How do we take what we just heard, all of this stuff, and say, now what do I do with this? Here's what I want you to get. Our definition is different. And we are called to respond to the world with kindness, no matter what they do to us. We are to show the fruit of the Spirit. And in this case, kindness. No matter how unkind they are to us. That's hard to do, isn't it? Look at the world around you. There's so much unkindness. There's so much bitterness. There's so much hatred. And that is going to be placed at your feet one day, if not already. You will sense that. You will know that. You will have the world look at you and be unkind. I watched multiple videos of police officers standing there with protesters spitting in their face. 
and calling them the worst names ever. And because of their duty, they stand there, most of them, and don't respond. But we can't stand there and not respond. We must respond, respond with kindness. And brothers and sisters, the further on we go down this road, as American citizens, this is going to get harder and harder to do. And it gives us no excuse to respond any other way. We must respond with kindness. Why? So that God receives the glory. So that God is seen in all of His kindness through us. I told you I've been gone, so I've got a lot here, but hear me out. There's a letter that is a first century letter that was found and then one day burned, but it was captured and it was assumed to be a citizen of Rome speaking about Christians. It's plain that in this, I think it's a 10-page letter, there's drawing a distinction between citizens of Rome and those that are citizens of Rome and citizens of the kingdom of God called Christians. It's called entitled The Letter to Diognetus. You can go and look it up yourself. It's all over the web, and, and it's pretty true to form. But let me read you just real quick one paragraph about a Christian in first century Rome. The author says, They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven, obedient to the laws. They yet live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Kindness is the response. Those are my words, not his. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Deference, their response to insult. For the good they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors, but the, even then they rejoice as though receiving the gift of life. They are attacked by the Jews as aliens. They are persecuted by the Greeks, yet no one can explain the reason for this Hatred. What is our response today? It shouldn't be much different. It begins with kindness. It's showing kindness to the world. The kindness that is defined in Scripture. And here's the last thing I want you to get. You're going to fail. Let me just be honest. We can't be kind all the time. Then we would be a saint. Then we would be the perfect Christian, Right? We would, have, we would deserve having our name placarded up here somewhere. Be like this guy. That doesn't happen because we fail. No, be like Jesus in being kind. And when you fail, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. It doesn't mean that you can no longer be a child of God. No, what it means is that you must fall on your face and turn to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness. And do you know what his answer is going to be? This I can guarantee you. He will forgive you 
of your sin. He will forgive you when you're unkind. He will. You're never going to be perfect in this life. But you can be forgiven in this life. We're about to sing our last and closing hymn. And in verse 2, I want you, if I can get it to play right, I want you to see something. The words say, Lord, now indeed I find your power and yours alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. When we are unkind, when we respond to the world with hatred because they spew hatred, There's nothing left to do but to turn to Jesus Christ and seek forgiveness. Who stands there and says, of course I forgive you. You are my child. I think we miss so much of God's grace. I think we miss so much of resting in Jesus Christ so that He works kindness in us as a response. But also... We miss turning to Him when we fail. Brothers and sisters, let us be a people who not only show kindness, but when we don't, we turn to Christ alone. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You, O Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth. We pray, O Lord, that You would guide us in all that we say and all that we do, that You may produce in us a fruit of the Spirit termed kindness. We may be kind to the world, to those around us. Help us, O Lord, so that you receive all glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now let us prepare to receive the benediction of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now the Savior who died, who lives, and who reigns grant you joy in labor, peace in troubles, hope in despair, and faithfulness in temptation, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to support the ministry of Thompson Presbyterian Church and the spread of God's Word, we would ask that you consider two things. First, consider praying with us. Pray that God would use His Word to impact the lives of His people and to draw the lost to Himself. As He says in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Secondly, we would ask that you consider giving financially. You can support this and other ministries by giving through our website, thompsonpresbyterian.org. Just go to the giving page and follow the instructions. You can also give through the Faith Life app on your smartphones. Simply go download the Faith Life app and sign up. Another way to give is to simply text GIVE and the amount to 706-250-6834. Again, that is 706-250-6834. Lastly, you can simply mail in your check, your support to Thompson Presbyterian Church, P.O. Box 398, Thompson, Georgia 30824. I would like to invite you to come and join us for worship on Sunday at 11 a.m. We are located at 607 Jackson Street in Thompson, Georgia.
Feel free to check out our website at thompsonpresbyterian.org for all ministries and event details. You can also call us at 706-309-0213 or email us at churchoffice at thompsonpresbyterian.org. Thank you for listening today. Now receive God's blessing. And now the Lord who has loved you with an everlasting love, may he support you all your days with the everlasting arms until the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. Amen.